With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to GM Shuffle. I am Tate Frazier, and I am joined on the other line by the great Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how is it going? Tate Frazier, little Jimmy is back. It's always good to have little Jimmy. Ah, we've missed you. We've missed you so much, little Tate Frazier. I have missed you so much, Lombardi. And uh, in the meantime, I have missed uh, lots of stories of things that we usually talk about, which is, you know, of course, Huey headlines coming back in the news, Eli Manning getting benched. Uh, I mean, obviously, all of the Gruden drama that came out, uh, you know, both with Jay and with John Gruden. But uh, Lombardi, I just have to say, it's very, very exciting for uh, to be back on the line with you. And also, uh, and then I, uh, I appreciate you letting me come in and take over your show for the day. So uh, it's a great time. And <laughs> I, I really enjoy GM Shuffle. So I appreciate you guys keeping this thing going. Tate, my understanding was that I have been Wally Pip for at least a week, and it's just you and Mike. So I was just going to take this one off. I mean, if you no. if you want me to chime in here, by all means, I will do no, so. You're we chiming read. In. No, we're, we're, yeah, we're <laughs> chiming in. We we can do it. We can make this work. I mean, it's just it's good to have the Tate Frazier perspective back and, and to hear it all. And we can all get together on some of these incredible stories. And you know, what better way to start GM Shuffle with our guest host? And then, then with the great Baker Mayfield and Rex Ryan feud on your former network. Oh, it's incredible, right? Like, I, I know Rex Ryan. I'd see him in the halls there at ESPN. He was a gregarious guy, funny. And we all know the <laughs> clips of seeing him on HBO. Let's go get some snacks. Well, this time, he got a little fiery here talking about Baker Mayfield. Maybe a comment that the three of us can all relate to, because maybe at one point all of us have been referred to as being <laughs> overrated as hell. But, but, but Rex Ryan said this, I'd like to be an offensive coordinator with the Browns. I got Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, and there's Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I know he's overrated as hell. Then went on to explain by saying, look, I bought into the dang hype. Here's a guy right now that's a one-read guy, and then he's going to improvise. He's got to realize that you're one of the slowest guys in that field when you take off with it. The ball is not coming out in rhythm. He's staring down guys. You're not that accurate down the field. Mike, then Baker Mayfield, you know he's going to fire back. He says, if you don't wear orange and brown, you didn't matter. And Rex Ryan doesn't have any colors right now for a reason. Boom! Shots fired. Mm. Boom. I mean, look, that, that's always everybody's line. Well, you know, you're not in the league anymore. But look, Baker's 3-5 and five on the road, you know, in his career. He's got five picks, three touchdowns, and, and he's below 60%. But here's the, to me, when I was studying Baker this week, and just because I knew we would talk about him, is he's had 21 passes that have been deflected or knocked down at the line of scrimmage, some by the defensive back, some by the D-line. 
Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes only has three. So what's clearly evident here is we said this all along on GM Shuffle. Tate Frazier and I talked about it last year, is when people start to figure you out as a quarterback in the NFL and they start to rush you in a different manner, in a different perspective, then all hell's going to break loose and you have to adapt. Now, is it all Baker's fault? No, I don't think so. The offensive line is horrendous. It's been horrendous for a long time. But the truth is in the pudding, and I mean, when you face the facts, is people are going to rush him. Don Martindale, Baltimore this week, is going to pressure him inside. He's not going to let him out of the pocket, and he's going to force him to have to throw the ball up the field, and he can't see. I mean, literally, he can't see down the field. Tate, what do you think? Baker Mayfield's a guy that electrifies some people, but others start to say, listen, maybe there's a reason why there's concern about him. He's undersized, and he's got a big mouth, and right now he's not backing it up. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, which is interesting. I saw Freddie Kitchens came out, and uh, obviously Rex Ryan. I I thought that it wasn't even just the Baker Mayfield overrated as hell. I know that ended up being the headline that everyone talked about, but I kind of thought that the biggest thing that Rex Ryan said is uh, when they were talking about the draw play on 4th and nine, and I obviously want to hear what both you guys think about that because it's you know been the big topic point. But, I mean, calling that draw play obviously was the first time apparently that's ever happened, and Rex Ryan <laughs> continued to call it the worst call he's ever seen. So it wasn't just that he was saying that Baker Mayfield field has been uh, not quite exactly what he thought he was going to be and calling him overrated, but he also saying as Freddie Kitchen is making the worst calls ever in the history of football. Um, so it, it's a double entendre with Rex Ryan calling out all these guys uh, with the Browns. So to me, it's cor- it, it sort of just sets up for the whole, I guess, Baker problem and the fact that everyone's going to be looking into what's next for the Browns. Can he be a leader for this team? And I have to bring up Lombardi just for old time's sake. Our boy OBJ pulling the perfect Ferris Bueller act because on fourth and nine, you would think, you know, if anyone's going to call for the ball and be open, it would be Ferris Bueller. But again, uh, he disappears in that moment and uh, we get a draw play on fourth and nine and the Browns are struggling and they're one and two. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think part of the biggest issue here is is, can, is Baker Mayfield is really trying to outdo Peyton Manning. When you turn on your TV set and Baker has more commercials than Peyton Manning, something's wrong, okay? <laughs> like, something's seriously wrong. He hasn't won enough games to get this many commercials, and so it pisses people off. And, you know, I don't think – I think applaud Rex, right? Everybody's pissed off that nobody on TV says anything, which is true. They all play it right down the middle. You know, they defend the coach. They do this. And then yet everybody's pissed off because Rex Ryan says something negative about the quarterback. I mean, seriously, this is what it drives me crazy. If we're – I mean, we don't want to make this a political show, but in po- politics there's always polarizing points on both sides, and people don't get mad if you have a difference of opinion. And nobody says to a commentator, well, you never run for office, so how do you know? And you're not in office, you can't talk. Like, that's to me the biggest – the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Maybe you're choosing not to be in office. Maybe you're choosing not to work in the NFL. Who knows? But Baker Mayfield should take the criticism. He's the one who put the target on their back. He's the one who's doing every goddamn commercial you could possibly do. And his team hasn't won a damn game. And you're right. Ferris Bueller's sitting over there. He's wondering where the damn ball is. Freddie Kitchens got his hands full, right? I mean, we said this all year. Freddie Kitchens is in over his head. I mean, I love Freddie, but it's hard to call plays and manage this collection of characters. And and he can't do it. And, And I think that's the problem. I said this. Here's the biggest issue. The last five minutes of games, are they going to be mentally tough enough to win? And what happened in the last five minutes of the Ram game? I mean, Christ almighty, the Rams are trying to give the goddamn game away. My man, Jared Goff, another GM street slash shuffle favorite, right? Mm -hmm. Goff has averaged 6.6 yards per attempt down the field since the game in Kansas City when when they shoot out, right? He's had 11 touchdowns. Like, Goff is not some... I know they paid him like he's the greatest player in America, but it's the most overrated contract in the history. And so... Their game was for the taking right there, and, and my man Baker couldn't take it. You know, Virgil Salazzo 
when he had his chance, he didn't do it, and that's what got him killed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we should say uh, Baker, you know, only completed 50% of his passes in that game against the Rams the other night. And, and I also wanted to just point out, I mean, maybe when Rex Ryan was saying that he is a one-read guy, maybe he was talking about the commercials, Lombardi. Maybe he's just saying he's a one-take Tony. <laughs> he can just do it in one read. Spe- speaking of being one-reads, by the way, though, I w- just a thought about Rex that you were making, Mike, because this is accurate, that when you work at ESPN, the number one rule they tell these guys, former players and coaches and you know, I've been there nine years, worked in baseball, college football, college basketball, etc. It's always have an opinion. That's the number one mm-hmm. thing that separates former players and coaches as to whether or not they're going to be successful as media types. And early on, they're so careful to say anything critical because they're trying to get back in the league. And you can always sense it. I, I had managers and players that say to me, hey, listen, man, don't ask me that question because I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to be honest about it. I said, well, I have to ask the question. Everyone's going to want to know. Well, okay, well, I'll skirt it, etc. So I think Rex, actually, his first year wasn't great on ESPN for that very point. Maybe he's thinking he's getting back in the league and be a decorder somewhere else. But this is exactly what they're paying him to do. So to Mike's point, listen, Rex's job is to be outspoken, opinion, and be honest. I do think he actually feels this way. He's not being disingenuous. So listen, he's getting what he wants, which is his opinion and his name out there. Not only is he being mean-spirited about it. And for Baker, it's just a put up or shut up. Like, Tate, you, you can't be this thin-skinned if you're the quarterback of a team. You know you're going to get criticized. Like, why would he even try to fire back at Rex? And, and, and to Mike's point about when people go, well, he's not in the league, that's like Keith Oberman once said, you know, it's like when people say, well, you, you can't criticize a certain player because you never played. Well, that's like saying you can never criticize the president because you've never been the president. Or you can never <laughs> criticize your doctor because you've never been a doctor. Like, then we should just put our heads under our, our blankets and just sob all day like, nobody's ever been the other thing it, it doesn't make any sense Tate and it does become one of those things where I saw a lot of people pointing out that Rex Ryan is 61 and 66 over his career and then you know bringing up his time with the Bills and all this sort of other, other stuff that ends up being background noise for the most part the worst thing that I got from Baker was just the fact that he basically paraphrased what Freddie Kitchens already said which is you know if you don't have our colors on you, you don't belong in this building and obviously like you said when you were mentioning the quote earlier it's like you know he doesn't have any colors right now for a reason so it's okay well, I think Rex Ryan is fine not to have any colors, and I, and I think he's come to terms with that. And uh, like you said, and, and I mean, it's, it's like go out and make those points, rile people up. Mike Greenberg was so excited when he saw Rex Ryan kind of tee that up and get that moment going when he called him overrated. He decided to revisit it. He's like, before we move on, let's go back to what we were just talking about. Let's get into this a little bit. Yeah, I thought Greenberg was going to need a diaper. I mean, he was so excited when he saw somebody on the show give a goddamn opinion. I mean, it's like, holy shit, this is the first we've ever had this in a Opinion. I mean, and here's the thing, too. I don't give a shit what Baker Mayfield says. Rex Ryan's a really good defense coordinator, and he understands mm-hmm. how to atta- how to attack quarterbacks. I mean, and so if Rex Ryan's saying that, what do you think the other people in the league are saying? They're, they're quietly whispering. Like, seriously, do you think anybody in the league watched that Monday night game who's a defensive coach and said, you know, Mitchell's playing really well. You know, that was a good game for Mitchell. No, that's all the media says that. That's all the Chicago media says that. People in the league are saying, he stinks. We can't throw the ball over 20 yards. I mean, everybody in the league knows how to defend them. They just know the Redskins have no ability to defend them. So I, I applaud Rex. I think, I think if you're going to be like, out there like Baker Mayfield and you're going to be the Virgil Salazzos of the league, you're going to have to take the shit once it comes because you ain't winning. We continue with our segment, Make Me Smarter. As Mike mentioned, Dwayne Haskins. And so Coach Jay Gruden, his tone on rookie quarterback Haskins sounded different during a conference call with the Giants media. Gruden said Haskins is not far away and he will get his chance. And Mike, you alerted me and Tate to this picture of Haskins on the sideline just completely not paying attention. Kind of looks like he's just daydreaming about something else, and you've got a coach breaking down plays with another player. So what is it about this picture that you really wanted to focus on and, and makes you think about Haskins and whether or not he's game ready? 
I, well, first of all, I like to have Tate Fraser's opinion since he's a millennial and the only one who represents the <laughs> millennial crowd here in this. <laughs> when you look at this picture, Tate Fraser, tell me what you see, and then I'm going to give my opinion. I mean, I think what I see is basically a guy in Dwayne Haskins that knows that he, based on what he's heard from Gruden and all these comments that he keeps making, that he has no shot at coming and playing for this team at this point, even though we have you know the situation with Keenum and the injury and the fact that Colt McCoy, we haven't seen him throw a football in a month, or at least Gruden hasn't seen him throw a football in a month, but still believes that he is more game-ready than Dwayne Haskins because he, quote-unquote, hasn't gotten the reps, so... Uh, as a millennial, when I see this picture of Lombardi, all I think to myself is that Haskins knows he's not going to play, so therefore he doesn't care. Okay, here's what I see. I see a complete, I see a complete dysfunctional culture in Washington. I see a guy who doesn't give a mm. shit for all the reasons that you just mentioned, Tate Frazier. I see a culture that doesn't have everybody buying in. I see a culture that could care less, that he hasn't been told what he needs to do, how he needs to behave, what needs to happen. This picture here is everything what's wrong with your Washington Redskins football team. This is everything that's wrong about it. They don't have anybody on the same page. Everybody's different. You can blame Haskins all you want. I'm not. I'm not blaming Haskins. Haskins probably hasn't been taught how to prepare. Haskins hasn't been fully engaged. Hasn't Haskins hasn't been part of the process. He knows that he wasn't there because Gruden loves him. They wanted to draft Daniel Jones. That's fact. Haskins is there because the owner, Daniel Snyder, and the general manager, who's 59-92-1 since he's been there, I'm not mentioning his name because I don't want to get him upset, <laughs> it is is horrendous. And so they wanted to draft this guy. And so everything that's wrong with the Redskins, when you see this picture, and this is how you can tell you've got a bad culture within your building. People say, how do you know you have a bad culture? Well, how do you know they're out of shape? Just look at this picture. And this isn't a reflection of Haskins. This is a reflection of everybody in the building. He's being told one thing by somebody, and then he's being told something else by, by another person. And that's why they'll never win in Washington, and it won't take time. I mean, you know, people say, well, you know, they've got to, you know, if they get rid of Gruden, you know, you know we, we killed bin Laden. Did we stop terrorism? Of course not. Of course we didn't. Like, the problems are deeper in terrorism, and just like the problems are deeper in Washington than just one person, right? It's not about the coach. Gruden can't operate within the function of the system, so therefore, this is what you see. And to me, ESPN did them a favor the other night. They never showed the third deck. If they would have shown the third deck and there's nobody up there, Daniel Snyder should have been embarrassed by it. Nobody cares about Washington. And I was a fat kid growing up in this town. Washington had a season ticket wait list. They loved everybody. The team was, was, that was all they cared about in Washington. It was the number one team. The franchise was worth so much when Jack Kent Cook owned the team. Now it's really a, a disgrace, and this picture is really symbolic of everything that's wrong. How do you follow that up, Tate? Good luck. I, I know it's going to be very tough. I was going to say Joe Gibbs, uh, you know, obviously, is, you know, not happy to hear these kind of things coming out from uh, the Washington situation. But I will point out, I, I thought it was interesting that Pat Shermer, uh, obviously the coach of the Giants, came out and said that, you know, he was very high on Dwayne Haskins and it was someone that they really looked into and they decided to go with Daniel Jones instead. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting as far as like the the PR spin forward for Dwayne Haskins, as far as other coaches kind of backing him. And then you, you mentioned Gruden. I kind of went through his little press conference that he had the other day. And, you know, he was asked about if he feels like he's coaching week to week for his job. And he, he kind of gave the the open-ended, uh, 
you know, who knows? We'll see what's going to happen with that. Uh, he said, you know, he's kind of surprised about, uh, you know, teams trying to go after Josh Norman a little bit. I mean, and that the 0-3 start wasn't that bad. They're going to change things around. They don't think they need to make any drastic decisions as far as who's going to be their guy. He believes Keenum is their guy. It just doesn't inspire much hope, Lombardi. And we kind of talked about that with, you know, some of these young guys. If you are willing to put a Daniel Jones in the game and bench Eli, the Giants fans are going to get a little excited and a little juiced up. And obviously that worked out in some capacity. And it just doesn't seem like Washington and Gruden and, you know, Snyder and all these guys are really invested in what they have in Haskins. So therefore Haskins is responding by not investing in them. And it, to me, it kind of looks like a situation where Haskins may not be in Washington for very long. And we know how willing they are to kind of turn things over. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the move in the next couple of years. That's a really good point because Haskins was not, you know, the next guy that comes in. Now, look, I think Jay Gruden can't wait for for somebody to walk down his hall and tell him he's getting fired. I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. he can wait. I think he'll, I think he'll be like George Costanza walking out of the parking lot. He'll be <laughs> str- just happier and shit. He'll take that Super Bowl and just run it around like I'm free. You know, I'm free. I mean, he truly will become Andy Dufresne. And, <laughs> and the next guy that walks in there, here's what's going to have to happen. The next coach, they're going to ask the next coach, what do you think about Dwayne Haskins? And the only way you're going to get the job is if you say you love Dwayne Haskins. So now you got three more years of bad. Like, this is exactly – remember the scene in Goodwill Hunting, A.D.? Mm-hmm. Remember when, when they asked him the question about why doesn't he come work for the government and, and he basically starts with somebody, some fisherman putting oil in the water and the next thing you know it goes all the way down the line, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it ends up with a guy getting shrapnel and some guy in Baltimore Southie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the conversation that's going to. You take that job, you inherit Dwayne Haskins, and you can't make him a player. You're going to end up. You're going to end up with a shrapnel in your ass from Southie. So you don't think, Mike, that, that Haskins is going to be a player? Because I think he has potential. Like I liked him at Ohio State. I thought he threw a ton of touchdowns, strong arm, etc. I think the Giants made a mistake by taking Daniel Jones that high. If I had a choice, I would take Haskins over Daniel Jones. So you're saying you're completely down on Haskins. Period. No, what I'm saying is the next guy is going to have to prove that he can win with Haskins. Gotcha. And and he's and and his perception out there amongst people in the league is not as high as yours is, which you could be completely right. Like, I think Haskins is a little bit like Jacoby Brissett. He doesn't have great awareness, doesn't have great anticipation with the football. That worries me. It's going to take a unique coach to come in here and build a culture around Haskins' play isn't going to determine the win-losses of the Redskins. Haskins, with a culture perhaps could. I don't think Haskins is ever going to reach his full potential in Washington because I think it's so bad and that they don't even understand what half their problems are. So that's my answer. And whoever comes in is going to say great things about Haskins and then he's going to get in there and he's going to realize, wait a minute, I can't fix everything. And then Haskins, he's going to get blamed for not fixing Haskins. Right. And it, it is already kind of happening a little bit where it's like the bad habits seep in. And if you're coming into a situation where Haskins has these bad habits already in place because he hasn't been able to grow within a culture like someone like Daniel Jones is maybe able to do with the Giants right now. And, and not to say that I think the Giants have a culture in place, but maybe more so than Washington. And I even saw before the game, uh, you know, they showed Dwayne Haskins and he's like rapping a song before the game. And there were a lot of Washington Redskins, uh, you know, people on Twitter that were complaining. Kind of remind me of the John Wall situation when he came out and he was dancing with the Wizards and people were upset about it. It, it, it just seems like there's just everyone wants to point fingers at somebody in Washington and it continues to be a problem. And I don't think it's a Jay Gruden problem, even though Jay Gruden is probably going to be the scapegoat for the whole situation. 
Tate Frazier, thrilled to have you with us, man. This was like a throwback here. And, you know, Springsteen <laughs> turned 70, so it's like you got the band back together again here, GM Street slash GM Shuffle. Where can people find you? Where can people see you? Tweet, Instagram, go ahead. Do the whole thing. Yeah, I, uh, at Tate Frazier on Twitter, I am still tweeting about sports and I am out in the world, uh, you know, kind of keeping things going. Right now, for the most part, I'm kind of laying low, figuring out what my next plan is. I'm doing a little bit of stuff uh, in the film world uh, at some capacity with the independent film studio, uh, which I know you appreciate, Adnan. So awesome. um, that's all good. And then uh, eventually going to get back into the world of sports at some level. But if you guys ever need me for anything, uh, I am always around and I'm always listening and I enjoy the show. Thank you, Tate Frazier. And just remember this, the great Mike Tony, when I worked at UNLV, Mike Tony was one of the great characters of all time. He could he was actually in the movie Casino in a back role, but he had one of the great mm-hmm. lines of all time. I'm only I'm between successes. <laughs> Don't ever forget that. You're yes. between successes. I appreciate that, Lombardi. It's uh it's one of those things where I, I just keep thinking to myself all the time that Eli Manning is the highest paid football player of all time with two hundred fifty two million dollars and uh, I go to sleep easy every single night. So uh, <laughs> You'll that's get all it. I got. You'll get there. You'll get there. Exactly. Great stuff, Tate. We appreciate you, man. Thank you, Tate Frazier. Appreciate you guys. We just talked about Baker Mayfield. How's he going to do against Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens this week? Mike and I discussed that matchup and more right after this. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, now it's time to talk about some games. Cowboys at the Saints is we're going to start things off. By the way, before I do that, though, Mike is great with the movie references. He dropped an Andy Dufresne Shawshank Redemption. He dropped a Goodwill Hunting. By the way, Shawshank Redemption turning 25 this week, anniversary of that movie. Goodwill Hunting you mentioned, and you mentioned a casino, so I have to quickly mention The Irishman is premiering, world premiere at the New York Film Festival. I'm going tomorrow. That's right, Friday afternoon. We're going to have a special cinephile released next week. Mike, this is the movie to end awesome. all movies. This is going to be my Citizen Kane. Scorsese, De Niro, Pacino. Chino, Pesci, Keitel. I heard you don't. Uh, I heard you paint houses. Of course, is the source material for the Irishman. You've read the book. I read that book. That guy's from South Philly. Actually, I'm going to go to a restaurant tonight called the Philly Social Club. That was right by where this guy painted the houses. You know, and uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to go to this restaurant. It's a private club in South Philly. I feel like I'll be back. I'll put my pinky ring on. It'll be perfect. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> and then I can't wait for this. I can't wait for the review to come out. You know, that scene in Goodwill Hunting to me is one of the greatest scenes. It's one of the ways where smart people 
end up hurting themselves because they think all the way through and they and don't do anything. Yeah, you're right. It's all about action. That, that's really the essence of it. I can't wait. Irishman will review that and uh, new Cinefall coming out next week for this movie, which is heavily anticipated. Speaking of being heavily anticipated, what's going to happen with the Cowboys when they face the New Orleans Saints? Taking a look at some of the injuries here, Mike. Now, there's a bunch of guys who are questionable. Tavon Austin, Zach Martin, Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup is out, so the Gallup poll has him not playing. But let's focus on Dak Prescott for a minute, if we can. Those who are enamored of him are saying... Hey, 74.5% completion, 128 rating. But you think it could be just some bad defense this year, right? He's placed Miami, the Giants, and the Redskins, three bad teams in the secondary. So how good has Dak been, and how much is just a result of playing some teams which aren't very strong? Well, there's always a return to the mean, right, AD? So I think, you know, when you've played Miami's one of the worst secondaries, the Giants' horrendous secondary. I think you and I can get open against the Giants. <laughs> and the Washington, all due respect to Josh Norman and Jay Gruden, they can't cover anybody, right? And so... Just take take a look. Prescott's is lights out this year. 9.8 yards per attempt. His career is typically 7.5. He's got a 9.6 touchdown percentage. Career, 4.8. He's got a 74.5 career completion percentage. Typically 66. His quarterback rating is 128. Career, 97.9. Now, that doesn't mean he can't do this continuously, but those numbers are coming down. They are going to come down. There's just no way a player can stay to the mean. He's got to reverse to the mean. We've seen this with, with – with, uh, it happened one year with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan had that incredible year in 16, took the team to the Super Bowl. But since then, Matt Ryan has reverted back to his normal numbers. Maybe Dak Prescott will get four, 16 games out of these numbers. I don't think so. I think as the level of competition increases and the matchups start to favor the defense a little bit, I think he'll slowly come down. And I think this is a tough spot for them at this game. I think the Saints last week found different ways to win. I thought Bridgewater executed the game plan perfectly. And let me say this to you. I think there's two players who are not going to get MVP votes that when I turn on my tape monitor and I watch games from the last weekend, I sit there and say, holy shit, these guys are incredible. Alvin Kamara and Delvin Cook. Alvin Kamara's third-round pick. Delvin Cook's second-round pick. Melvin Gordon, just pay attention to those two things, right? Uh, I mean, the reality, those guys, Alvin Kamara is, to me, one of the best players and should be consideration for the MVP vote. He won't get any, don't get me wrong, but he's incredible. Well, that's high praise, uh, and especially because the fact one of the concerns for New Orleans has been the slow start. Seven points in the first quarter all season, and part of the, the charm, or at least the success of Prescott, has been no fumbles lost from the Cowboys so far this year. So protect the football. He's been able to be accurate. Now can Bridgewater throw the ball down the field and match him for step for step? It's going to be a fun game to look forward to. Uh, I think the Cowboys are favored right now, right, by minus three? The Cowboys are minus three. I think the line, based on my numbers, the line's shifting. It's sharp money is going on the on the Saints here. So when we talk sharp money, that means people that are betting the the, the heavyweighters, the guy that are in South Philly that go to the social club, you know, with the pinky rings. That, that's sharp money, right? Those are the guys that are that they're moving this line towards the, the Saints. The Cowboys, we we know this; they're really good on defense, but they haven't played enough defense, and I think they're going to be vulnerable to the Saints' run game a little bit here. The Saints' def- offensive line is really good. I mean, the Saints' offensive line played really good in Seattle last week. Too many false starts, but they played really good. I, I'm taking the Saints in the points here. And I should mention, as far as when it comes to the line, Mike, so far you're on a roll. You're 7-4 and four right now with your picks, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't bet. That's the best part about it. I just give out advice, free <laughs> advice. You don't have. To, I'm like I'm not Jim Feist. I don't charge you to pay for this podcast. I, you know, this is just straight, straight cash, homie. You know, I mean, straight cash. Just look. I, I and I've been screwed twice by Denver, but the reality of it is, is I think that if you do a good job, 
you can do a good job handicapping games and still lose. We understand that. But if you're over that 57%, which 7-4 and four is, you're doing really good for the year. No question about it. Let's talk next about the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Seattle at 2-1. and one. Arizona so far is 0-2 as they've been yet to get on track. And it's interesting. You know, Russell Wilson's been fantastic so far this season. Seven touchdowns, no picks. Um, 119.6 passer rating. I mean, that's pretty strong work out of Wilson so far. Question is, one of the concerns is the fumbles. Four fumbles lost this year as the Seahawks got to do a better job with the terms of that. But Wilson's been great. Curious to see how he does against that Arizona Cardinals defense. Yeah, no doubt. And I think this, the Cardinals last last week only got 127 yards passing. They had to actually run the ball. You know, and I think the mayor of Munchkin land is starting to see that it's a little different for him uh, in terms of the way people are rushing him. And I think this is a big game. Ansu didn't do anything for Seattle last week. He was dressed. Didn't, I didn't see him on the tape very much. Clowney's only had one sack so far this year and one hit. People talked about how great he is. And I think the other thing, they traded two legitimate special teams players, Seattle Mingo and the kid Moore away. They traded those two players, and that's really hurt their special teams. That's why the Saints took that punt back for a touchdown. I think it's really bothered them. But I think Russell Wilson is lights out. I mean, he's remarkable, right? I think he's been unbelievable in what he's done. Eight, six yards per attempt, and they've been un- they've been able to throw the football effectively. They could run it. If they hold on to the ball, they'll be much better. I don't think the Cardinals are very good, and I think the Seattle team coming down there after a tough home loss, I think they get things back on track. I think the line's five right now. It started at four and went to five. That means sharp money's on the Seattle team. I'm on Seattle, too. Yeah, so Seattle minus five. I agree with you. That feels like a good pick there as they will try to win on the road against Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals. Jacksonville right now is one and two at Denver, 0 and three. Here's one of the big shocks so far this season for me, Mike. I look at this Broncos defense, right? And Von Miller's out there in flashing lights to me on the marquee. And yet, Denver, no sacks, no interceptions, no forced fumbles. Therefore, not a coincidence, no wins. Yeah, you know, AD, when I was studying this, the, the game tapes this week, you know, and as much as I bitched about on the pod, I bitched about uh, Joe Flacco and what an idiot I am for going with Joe Flacco. I mean, to be honest with you, Flacco hasn't been the real problem. I mean, Flacco's not – look, we know Flacco's not a great player. We get that. We accept that. And, you know, we see that he's not – he hasn't been, but he's not the reason. What you cited is the reason. I mean, Flacco's actually having a year that's typical to his 2014 year with, with Gary Kubiak. He's got five passes over 25 yards. His seven-point yards per attempt is highest since 14, you know. And the fact is they're only playing 28 minutes of defense, and yet they're playing bad. I mean, they've kept their defense off the field. The key to play great defense today in the NFL is to play less defense. And they've done that. I mean, Denver's offense has held what they were supposed to do. It's their problem has been their defense. And I got to think going against a Jacksonville team with my man Gardner Minshew, hey, hey, Gardner McKay, I, I think, you know, when you look at it, I think it'll be problematic. I mean, Gardner is not going to throw the ball down the field. I mean, he's had, he's had, uh, you know, he's been really good, though. I mean, on throws from 11 to 20 yards, he's 9 for 11 on those throws. He's tw- 4 for 6 on throws over 20 yards. I mean, he's done the he's done better throwing the ball up the field. However, that being said, his yards per attempt in the last two games have not been very high. And I think playing in Denver with an offensive line that I'm a little bit weary about, plus a running back. I mean, this Fournette guy, I, I don't know how much longer I keep bitching about him. But Fournette, think about this. We've talked about him not being perfect for the, for the run-and-shoot style of offense or the spread. I mean, he averages 3.3 yards when there's three receivers on the field. When he runs the ball outside, left or right, he barely he doesn't average three yards. When he runs it to the right, he averages less than a yard. He's minus .08. The only time he runs effectively is in the middle of the field. 
they have to get another back, and I don't think they have enough weapons on offense to do that. That's why I like Denver again this week. I'll give the points. Fournette, one long run of 69 yards. If you remove that, he averages 2.61 yards per carry and zero touchdowns. That is incredibly poor production from a guy who you thought a couple years ago was going to be the real key to this offense. If you thought, all right, defense and running, that's how Jackson was going to win. Fournette been a big disappointment in that department. Browns and the Ravens. Cleveland 1-2. and two. Baltimore is 2-1. and one. Uh, This is an interesting one when you look at it because the Browns, you feel like this is almost a must win. I mean, with all the hype around this team, if they fall to 1-3, and three, so they'll be playing with some desperation. And as far as Baltimore is concerned, I think a better team than people realize. Lamar Jackson, that was a great show down there against Patrick Mahomes, but Jackson certainly acquitted himself even though they lost it. How do you handicap this one? Browns and Rams. And one thought here about injuries, Mike. Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward, a couple of corners from Cleveland, they're both questionable. I mentioned that because of Lamar Jackson and his ability to throw the ball downfield. Ward, of course, coming out of Ohio State. So could be vulnerable in that secondary for the Browns. Yeah, no doubt. I think, And I think that Lamar, he's got a great rapport with Andrews, the tight end. I think they're running the ball. I think the secondary for Baltimore has been suspect. I think there's no doubt about that. It has been suspect in terms of their ability to cover. Last week they did, they struggled with against Mahomes, against Mahomes, but everybody struggles against Mahomes. And, and they struggled to really get off the field when they have to. But to me, the concern that I have is the Browns have allowed 97.9 quarterback ratings so far this year. And here's who they've played. They've played golf. Mariota and Luke Falk and the quarterback rating against their defense is 97.9 that that's I don't think that's good is it <laughs> not not as what you're looking for no no I mean and the other thing is we talked about how tough are the Browns the Browns are 31 and 0 in the fourth quarter they've not scored a point in the fourth quarter they've allowed 31 points so we talked about that mental toughness that we needed to have before you get good to great you know I, I this one I go back and forth on I really I really lean towards taking the Browns and the points I really do take the Browns and the points. I think that's going to be the best play here. I think it'll be a closer game than we think, but I do like the Ravens to win. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 3-5 and five on the road, five picks, three touchdowns this year, below 60% completion. In the words of Rex Ryan, that's why he's overrated as hell. Kansas City Chiefs at the Lions. Uh, Chiefs right now own two – excuse me. Yeah, Lions right now need to step it up because they have been a little bit slower to the gate, although that was a nice victory against the Eagles. And as you spoke about – you know, Detroit did not shoot themselves in the foot. Philadelphia made a lot of mistakes, and Detroit was able to capitalize on that. Now facing Kansas City, going to be a much steeper task here against Andy Reid, the high-powered offense, Patrick Mahomes and company. You know, people would say, well, you know, Detroit's 2-0. and You know, they haven't struggled out of the gate, you know, and, and what you said there. And I think you're right. They, they haven't played well at all. I mean, they have not. But what they've done a great job is avoiding losing. They've done a great job of that. They, they haven't really turned the ball over. They forced the other team. I mean, the Chargers, when they go back and watch that tape, they, there's no way they should have lost that game. They, and the Lions covered. You know, and they can't, and the Lions aren't doing anything, and they can't run the ball. They're averaging 3.4 yards per rush. But what the Lions have done, and they've done textbook on this, and teams should pay attention to this. Any high school coach listening to this podcast, college coach, they understand how to rush the quarterback to maximize their ability and coverage. Last week, Jason Kelsey lined up. They lined up their biggest defensive lineman, and they pushed over Jason Kelsey, the light center for the Eagles, and they pushed him back in the pocket, and they made Wentz very uncomfortable. 
The thing that I like about this game is Reed really understands how to attack this style. He's been very good against this style of defense. And on the carpet, I think their speed is even going to be more impressive. I think what the Lions will try to do is use the same game plan the Patriots did, try to pressure the quarterback using the tackles, pressuring the tackles back, powering them, power inside, and then jamming the receivers. I think it's going to be hard. Now, this line is all about the Sharps. The Sharps love this line. They love Detroit taking the 6.5. You know, the, the, it opened up. It went 6.5 for the Lions, and then it went down to 6 for the Kansas City. So the line shifting back towards Kansas City, which tells you the Sharps are really heavy on this line. Detroit and the points seems like the play here. Interesting for the Lions, created five turnovers on defense, but only 3.4 yards per rush. Uh, also, the Eagles, I mean, again, they, they dropped seven passes against them, so obviously Detroit was able to take advantage of Philadelphia playing sloppy. And the Chiefs have only allowed 13 points in the second and third. That's interesting, Mike. You don't think of the Chiefs as a strong defensive team, but in that middle section of the game, they've been particularly stout. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, look, people say, well, you can run the ball on the Chiefs. I think they want you to actually run the ball because then they get, you know, they get it to a third down and they make plays. I mean, they've gotten good pressure. Frank Clark hasn't even had a breakout year, you know, so they've gotten pressure from other defensive linemen. The kid from Cleveland, the second round pick, I can't say his name, Emmanuel Oka, whatever. I can't say, he's actually gotten pressure and played pretty well for them. So they've been able to get off the field with Chris Jones and the rest of the defensive linemen. That's going to be the challenge. Can they get off the field with Matthew Stafford? And I think the Lions will slow this game down. Look, I don't think the Lions are going to snap this ball. And if I were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, I would never snap the goddamn ball until there were three seconds left on the play clock. I'm letting that clock go all the way down. I'm reducing this game. I mean, last week Atlanta had scored three possessions they had three possessions in the four, in the second half, and they scored on every possession, but they didn't have enough time to win the game. To me, you can utilize pace of the game to help you win, and especially when you're playing a team like this. All right, that's the story as far as the major games of the weekend. Chiefs and Lions, the last one we focused on. When we come back, we'll talk running backs holding out to get paid. Are holdouts good or a player trying to make more money in the NFL, or is it actually counterintuitive? We'll discuss next on GM Shuffle. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, well, as Mike Lombardi has said on record, it's the stupidest holdout in the history of holdouts. L.A. Chargers running back Melvin Gordon planning to end his holdout, rejoin the team. Person requested anonymity, by the way. The story came through USA Today Sports as Mike Jones. Gordon will not be available to play Sunday at Miami. Is expected to be back on the field with the Chargers following the game October 6th against Denver. You've said on record here, Mike, the Chargers offensive line, in your opinion, is terrible. You wonder now how Gordon's going to do with his ground game, which hasn't missed much of a beat like Pittsburgh last year. So, does any of this make sense here for Melvin Gordon? I mean, clearly, it looks like to me, he tried, he rolled the dice, he came up snake eyes. Didn't work yeah, out for him, right? It didn't work out, and it cost him a lot of money. I mean, he's what's he going to get fined like $300,000? He lost like $200,000 of a game check. He's taught, lost a ton of money. To me, if I was Tom Telesco right now, I would trade him for a third round pick because I could get, because uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to resign him. Ecular is proven to me I don't need to resign him. I need that type of back. I'm not going to give this guy a ton of money, especially when I'm watching the league. I'm watching Dalvin Cook. 
I'm watching Madison from the Vikings. I'm watching all these other players play really well. Why would I give money to a running back when I already have a back that's pretty good and he can do things in all three areas? He can pass protect, he can catch out of the backfield, and he can run the football out of the spread. Like Fournette. Fournette can't run the ball out of the spread. I mean, so I would trade this guy for what I think I'm going to get in compensatory and get it now as opposed to waiting. Why have him in my locker room? All he's going to do is bitch about he didn't get paid. You know, he's going to need to prove that he can get paid. I would take way less for him right now. I would trade his ass out of there and say, okay, thank you very much. I collect your, I'm collecting all your fines because here's how you stop holdouts. Collect the fines. If you don't collect right. the fines, you're encouraging holdouts, right? So I'm going to collect the fines, say goodbye, and I'm going to trade you for a third-round pick And I'm going to, because I'm not going to re-sign you. I've already decided I'm not re-sign you based on the first three games of the year. Yeah, it's like, say goodbye to these. Like, once you kiss that money goodbye, you can't just like, kiss and make up and say, hey, man, I totally get it. Don't worry. We'll, we'll swipe this out of the rug. We'll publicly say we find you, but we won't really get into details. You're right. If you actually take money out of a guy's pocket, everyone goes, all right, well, that clearly didn't work. In, in this case, management wins, player loses, and ultimately for Gordon, I don't know how successful he's going to be because I don't know how strong the infrastructure is around him. I don't know how good this Chargers team is. And you're already coming in rusty, right? Like when you, when you don't come in focused, when you don't hit the ground running, you're already a month behind. Like it's October 6th and you're going week one. I, I, and I hear this theory, I'm like, oh, maybe he'll be fresher in December. I'm like, no, I, I don't think it works that way. I think that if you get slow to get on track, it's tough to get the wheels churning. I think you're dead right. I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, the reality of it is, is, is you end up with he'll pull a hamstring. You're not used to the grind. It takes you a while to get used to it. And then if you have a shitty year this year, what's that going to do for you? Like if I'm Tom Telesco, I'm calling everybody. You want this guy? Here you go. You can have him third round. If you want to resign him next year, you know, I would be shocked if Melvin Gordon's not traded before the trade deadline. I would be shocked. I would be shocked that they're whole, because I don't want him in my locker room. I don't want him in there saying, hey, I want his fine money because the fine money proves the other players don't hold out. It ain't going to get you anywhere in this place. It might get you somewhere in Dallas. It ain't getting you anywhere here. And then I would send that message to him. I, I would definitely do that. I think, I think look, maybe, maybe the Steelers, you know, maybe the, the Steelers are trading away their draft picks. And it's interesting how they're doing this. The Steelers are trading away draft picks. We talked about Minka Fitzpatrick. They should have lottery protected that. They traded a fifth-round pick for Nick Barnett, the, the tight end from Ohio State who was in Seattle. Maybe Pittsburgh will trade it. Maybe Pittsburgh will trade a pick because I think Pittsburgh, AD, I think Pittsburgh, I'm trying to sit back and analyze this in my head. Like, why are they trading away draft picks, you know, next year? Why are they trading away? Because I think Pittsburgh thinks they need to win this year. I think they're all in. I think Pittsburgh thinks, I think Colbert, I think Mike Tomlin, I think they all think they need to win this year. And if they don't win, they're all going to get fired. Yeah, all of them. Now, Colbert doesn't have a contract next year. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. I think they're putting their chips in the middle of the table. Which is very odd, right? You think, okay, no Roethlisberger, we're done. No, no, we have to win right now. I don't care what happens. Mason Rudolph will figure out a way. That's the story when it comes to Melvin Gordon. Now time for Joe's question of the week. Joe. All right, so the Jalen Ramsey saga continues. Doug Marone was laughing when he was getting questions about his mysterious illnesses and injuries and claims he doesn't know when they occurred. Now, understandably so, Jalen Ramsey is away for the birth of his child. What do you guys think Jacksonville should do with Jalen Ramsey at this point in the season? Well, I take a page from Mike's book when it comes to Melvin Gordon, and I would trade him. And I know Mike and I disagree on this one because my thought is this. It, it, it feels irreparable. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get this guy in line. Like, I've done everything I can if I'm Doug Marone. I've tried to reach out to him. I've tried to make things work. He's obviously a special player. He's very talented defensively. He can be a key cog. And I'm willing to admit, I'm going to trade him 60 cents on the dollar, and he's going to go flourish somewhere else. Like, I, I am totally recognizing that if I'm Jacksonville, that I'm not going to get fair value because right now everybody knows that me as the coach or 
his management are not getting along well with him, but he does have the talent. So he's going to go somewhere else and play well. But I just accept it. Because at this point, I say, I, I don't know how, if I can turn this around. I feel like if I'm Doug Marone, I've tried everything I can. And now literally, I'm laughing. I'm getting questions right now. Hey, it's all good. He's going to go away for his kid. Of course, we understand that. But at this point, I would cut my losses, Mike. And I know it would be frustrating to me to say, listen, I'm giving up Jalen Ramsey and I'm not getting full value. But I don't think I can reach him at this point, And that's why I'm just willing to move on. Right. I think Shaq Khan, I think the owner Khan, I think he needs to make a decision. I think he needs to decide, am I keeping Tom Coughlin? Am I keeping the great David Caldwell? Am I keeping Doug Marone? And if I'm keeping those three guys, then I'm going to have to trade Jalen Ramsey. But if I'm not keeping those three guys, then I should hang on to this asset and I'm going to reevaluate where I am as an organization. Maybe it's time for me to go outside. I mean, look, Jacksonville's there's something wrong in their culture. It it just it goes without saying. They've had too many bad picks. They've signed too many bad free agents. I mean, if you go through really, if you did if ESPN did a documentary on the David Caldwell administration in Jacksonville, it's fascinating. Forget the draft picks. It's the players that they've signed that they're no longer on the roster that they've given money away to. Like I don't understand it. I know he's got a relationship with Bill Polian and he worked for Polian and that Polian must have a relationship with Khan or something because Anybody else, if you spent that much money, I mean, again, I would be like I would be like Mussolini on, uh, in the square in Milan. I mean, I, they would have hung me. Al Davis would have shot me. You know, that would you gave how much away to that? I mean, you know, the current general manager of the Washington Redskins, who remains to be nameless, said when I gave Barry Sims ten thousand dollars on an advance that that was the dumbest thing ever. And Barry Sims ended up st- starting the games as a rookie over Matt Stat over Matthew uh, Stinchcomb, who we picked in the first round. So, you know. 10,000 was like I was almost going to get killed for 10 grand. Could you imagine what they've done with Caldwell? I, I think that's the decision. I don't think this is about Jalen Ramsey. I really don't. I think this is a decision about where am I going as a culture? Where am I doing as an organization? And once you decide that, then you deal with Ramsey. But if you can't decide that, then you're making solution-based decisions as, a, as opposed to sustainable-based decisions. Solution-based is it solves the problem today. Sustainable means you're solving the problem for today and tomorrow. I think Khan needs to be more in sustainable-based solutions. That's well said. Jacksonville right now going to be at Denver. The Broncos are favored minus three. That brings us to the mailbag. And as always, you can get a hold of us. We appreciate you. And uh, just email us, gmshuffle at gmail.com. Hey, guys, I do have a question that's been nagging me. You hear all the buzz about the NFL is predominantly West Coast offensively these days with most teams using some variant of that Walsh systematic tree. The only exceptions I can think of is Carolina with Norv Turner and New England. I know Norv is from the older Don Coriel philosophies, but where did the origins of the Patriots offense stem from? Thanks for all the content. Keep up the good work. That's from our friend Andrew. The offense of New England really started the code, the naming, the nomenclature all started with a man by the name of Ron Earhart, the pride of North Dakota. Ron Earhart coached with Parcells, was his offense coordinator, been in the league, was in the league. He's passed away now uh, a long time. He and, and a lot of it comes from that period where where Earhart was coaching the two backs, the Bob Schnelker who was in Was who was in Minnesota, one of the great screens. When you watch New Orleans screens package, it's all Bob Schnelker from the Minnesota Vikings. I love Schnelker. He used to call a game on the sideline without a headset and he had these index cards he would watch. And Earhart was the same way. Earhart would be on the field. He didn't really need people in his ear and he would call the game. But the nomenclature and the foundation of it started with him. It then went to Pittsburgh when that's when he coached Neil O'Donnell in Pittsburgh and it moved on. So it would be that. And a lot of it a lot of it started and then it manifested itself and then Josh McDaniels has obviously migrated into other things and moved it along. But this the but the basic of what they did in, in New England, of what they did in Cleveland, it really came from Ron Earhart's style of offense. 
All right, great question there from Andrew. And as always, you can, uh, like I said, email us those questions, gmshuffle at gmail.com. And of course, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on radio.com, Spotify as well, and rate and review as well on Apple and keep this thing growing. The numbers are going up and, and we're thrilled to have all that feedback right now. We also talk NFL, but also talk a little bit of college football. A couple of games to focus on here, Washington State at number 19, Utah. So Mike Leach right now, new quarterback, Anthony Gordon, just under 1,900 yards, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions. And he's been helped by Max Borgie, the running back out of the, out of the backfield, 325 yards and four touchdowns. This game is taking place in Salt Lake City. Tyler Huntley, the quarterback for Utah, by the way, who has 812 yards passing, five touchdowns, no picks. What is it about this game, Mike, you're focused on? Well, I think Utah's secondary is not very good. I think when you watched USC throw the ball effectively on them, and I think Huntley's got a little bit of an injury, and it seems like all the sharp money is playing heavy on Washington. The line's moving direction of Utah, so that's why I like this game. I think Washington State losing last week in one of the most improbable losses you could possibly have, the Washington State-UCLA game, what it was at 67-64, something like that, in, over, in 17,000 overtimes. I think Mike Leach will bounce back. Mike Leach is remarkable. I wrote about him on the Daily Coach this week. There's so many things that he does that so are unique, and I think he'll come back and, and lead the team back. I, I, really, I like Washington State. I don't love them, but I don't like Utah's secondary whatsoever. All right, so you're down on the Utes. What is a Ute? Oh, I'm sorry. Youths. <laughs> exactly. Was that the best? I mean, was that the best? Really, seriously. If that's on TV, do you not oh, stop and watch it? My cousin Vinny, anytime. And Marissa Tomei. My, bio, my, my biological clock is tick, tick, ticking. Like, she's just giving it to Pesci. Won an Oscar for the role. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's so good. And some of the lines in there, oh, no, Kawo with a G. No, you know. It's so good. <laughs> Joey Gallo. Joey Callow. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. No and, and the detective. Yeah. Oh, and the lady with the glasses who can't see. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the best was the stuttering guy. You're fired. <laughs> that guy's great. Well, those character actors. Another college football game, Navy at Memphis out of the American. Uh, the midshipmen are 2-0. and Memphis is 3-0. and And Malcolm Perry, the senior quarterback for Navy. I love this. You know you're getting this with this offense. Passing-wise, he's 11 of 16 for 254 and two touchdowns. But they run the ball. 34 carries for 184 yards and five touchdowns. The leading passer, of course, the leading rusher. But Memphis is favored in this one. Yeah, and this is another this is another sharp play here. The Sharps have been all over Memphis, all, all over Navy this week. They've been all over Navy. They think Navy's going to cover. I think Navy's getting a bunch of points. They're going to cover in the game. And Navy's off offense is hard to play it's an early game i think it'll play it's playing tonight thursday night so if you get this if you're too late then unfortunately you won't get that but i think that's the one and i also think you know i talked about this on on visa when i do my visa show these ratings i think you have to throw these ratings out the window like auburn's i think what the eighth best team in the country i watched auburn just really beat up on texas a&m last week i think auburn lsu are clearly in the top four teams georgia i disappointed they didn't cover against notre dame last week but i think auburn and and LSU to me, and I still think my man Joe Burrow should be up for the Heisman. Yeah, I was going to say, you love the fact LSU finally looks like they have a quarterback after all these years of that being the biggest Achilles heel of that team. Strong defense. Obviously, the, the home field of playing at Tiger Stadium at night is always strong, and now it looks like Burrow could be a difference maker for them. Eagles and Packers tonight. Green Bay is favored by four and a half. I feel like a must win for the Eagles. They're one and two. Green Bay is three and zero. Oh. Carson Wentz is five and eight in the last 13 games, and he's 27th when facing pressure. 65 quarterback rating. And defensively, Mike, this is crazy. Andrew Sandejo is the leading tackler right now for the Eagles. He's a strong safety for Philly. Sacker. He's the leading oh, he's sacker. sacker. Excuse me. Yeah, that's crazy. Is that, I mean, Jernigan has one and Sandejo has one too. This is, I mean, my Browns 
the Browns uh, Ravens pick. I'm not picking that. This is my fifth pick. I like the Eagles and the points here. I think the Eagles will bounce back. I think this Eagle team has been hurt by injuries. I don't think they've played very well. I think they'll be able to attack Mike Pettin tonight. I'm going to take the points. I think I get four and the Eagles. And I think that this is a better play. I think the Eagles will, will turn this around because I'm not sure this this Packer offense is operating on any kind of cylinders. And I think that eventually they're going to play against a defense like Philadelphia. I think Jim Schwartz will do a good job up there. I think I want you to pay close attention tonight. Watch how many people slip on this field, A.D. Nobody talks about this. Green Bay is one of the worst fields. You slip a lot. There's the heating coils underneath of it. Guys fall on their ass. If you don't wear the right shoes up there, you'll fall on their ass. You need to pay attention to it. I like the Eagles as one of my five teams. Only 23 points in the first half. The Eagles always behind in games. Hopefully they can uh, pick up some points here at Lambeau Field. Once again, this was a ton of fun. Thanks to Tate Frazier. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tate Frazier. Irishman Review coming next week on Cinephile. And, of course, we are always twice a week now here on GM Shuffle. So Mondays and Thursdays. Monday we get you set with all that happened in the NFL. And just like what we did today, we preview what's happening. So check us out. Apple Podcasts. The numbers are going, Mike. We need more love, more support. We appreciate all of you out there. Thank you so much, everyone. Look forward to Sunday night.